This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 157. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What it do, good people? Welcome to this brand new installment of the Before the Millions podcast. This is episode 157, and uh, I'm excited for this episode. I'm actually excited for this investment vehicle in general. It's something that I haven't yet done, but the more and more I hear about it, the more my interest peaks. So today we're talking about land, land investing, and we're talking to Mr. Jack Bosch. And Jack was a professional 20 odd years ago who went from zero to financial freedom in 18 months just by flipping land. And till today, Jack has flipped over 4,000 pieces of property and he has the third largest land investment company in the U.S. to date. So on today's episode, guys, we discuss Jack's skyrocket-like trajectory because he was in corporate America for a while, making good money, wasn't really getting handsome raises. And then all of a sudden, a few years in, his income skyrockets. And it's not because of his W-2 income, but it's because of his real estate. I mean, he goes from zero to a million dollars in the matter of 18 months. And this is a German immigrant who came to the U.S. in 1997, who had to learn English, who had to learn an entirely new system in the U.S., and then decided that the path that he started down, which was his W-2 corporate job, was not the path for him and his wife. And he found land, and he's been using land ever since to enrich his life. So we're going to talk about the first million dollars that Jack amassed. We're going to talk about how then, again, in just another short, like two, three years, he grew that company to a multi-million dollar business. And today, Jack travels the world two to four months a year. And he builds businesses that now are designed around his lifestyle. So Jack is somebody that we can learn a lot from. So some of the things that we're going to talk about here on today's episode are how to break the earn-spend cycle. Many of us are on this earn-spend cycle where we spend every single thing that we earn from our check or we save away a few hundred dollars and we repeat the cycle over and over again, month after month, year after year. And some of us are trying to break it, but it's just too hard. So we're going to talk about exactly how to break that cycle. We're going to talk about why Jack's immigrant mentality helped pave his success. We're going to talk about how Jack, again, made his first million in 18 months. And then Jack's philosophy on tenants, toilets, and termites. These are things that you don't have to deal with as a land investor. 
We're going to talk about the biggest reason why most land investors fail and how you can avoid it. And last but not least, we're going to talk about the opportunity in the land investing world over the next 20 years. So strap on your seatbelt, ladies and gents. This is a great, great episode, and I cannot wait for us to get into it. As I record this intro, a brand new book just came in the mail. Book The book is called 12 Months to $1 Million by Ryan Daniel Moran. And I'm getting ready to make my yerba mate, or I may switch to some chamomile tea today. And um, it's raining outside, so it's perfect time to dig into this book and hopefully get through it uh, by tomorrow. The subtitle is How to Pick a Winning Product, Build a Real Business, and Become a Seven-Figure Entrepreneur. And if you're wondering, DeRay, you don't sell physical products. Why would you read a book like that? Well, stay tuned to the very next Q&A, and I will explain to you exactly why I'm reading 12 Months to $1 Million, which is based on physical products. So those are what my evening plans consist of. In addition, I'll probably listen to this episode once again because it was just that good. Jack brings a wealth of information and also pushes us with some inspiration as well because he's achieved some pretty lofty goals. So before we get on to the tip of the week, I need you to do three things. One, subscribe to the show. Two, leave the show a rating and review. If you've listened to at least one episode already, if you haven't yet listened to an episode after you listen to this episode, if you love it, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. And three, find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Lalia, which is my first and last name. Let's connect over there. Drop in, say what's up, and let's continue to build together. So one, subscribe. Two, rating and review. Three, let's connect on Instagram. DeRay's Tip of the Week. This is episode 157, and just in case you didn't know, these episodes come with the show notes, which highlight the guests that we bring on the show, their biography, what we talk about on the show, and some key takeaways from the show. And then last but not least, what's actually most important is all the links that we mention on the show. So we have this for every single show that we produce. And for this specific episode, you can find the show notes for this episode over at Before the Millions dot com forward slash episode 157 that's 157 the number 15 and 7 and again we do this for every single episode the reason i wanted to point it out as a tip of the week here for this episode is because jack actually has some really really good recommendations in the world of real estate in the world of travel and in the world of wine so i want to make sure that you guys know where to find the links to everything that we talk about on today's show one of Jack's recommendations that we'll get into on the show is a company called We Go Look. And this is a way, especially during these uncertain times, this is a way for us to keep ourselves quarantined and keep our loved ones safe by hiring a company like We Go Look to do certain tasks for you to take a look at certain properties that you may have under contract or maybe certain land deals in this instance, right? Or maybe go look at an Airbnb that you're currently working on. It just has people at bay to go ahead and do some of the tasks and do some of the inspections and take pictures that you may not want to do or that you may not have time to do. So We Go Look is a company that Jack is going to talk more about on the show. But again, Again, the link to that company is already in the show notes for you. So it makes it super easy for you to go ahead and find everything that you're looking for by heading over to beforethemillions.com slash episode 157. And now your feature presentation. Last year, we went to the Maldives in southeast, uh, south, southwest of the Indian Ocean. 
Uh, we went to um, we went to Hawaii, I think, two or three times. We traveled to Germany, Switzerland, uh, Austria, Italy. Um, we went all over the place. We went Paris, uh, and every year is kind of like that. This year, obviously, it's a little bit different. But when I started, it's uh, I had a I came from I originally am from Germany. So I came here with basically two suitcases, a bunch of student debt, and a dream. And uh, I got to finish my college degree here, and then I got a job. And through that job, I got my green card. So it took five and a half years to get that. But during those five and a half years, I was on two weeks vacation. I made about $2,500 a month uh, net take home, which wasn't bad. I mean, it's a while ago. But um, after my mortgage and all my things, I had like $400 left. Mortgage, car payments, electricity, utilities, insurance. I had like 400 bucks left for the month for groceries. And that's, and I worked literally sometimes seven days a week. I worked usually 70, 80 hours a week. I was at a, at a technology company, at a software company, as a business analyst, as a consultant. So, yes, I was traveling. I was traveling 100%, but not for pleasure, right? I was going to some God-forbidden towns where there's some big company and nobody else lived there. And, um, and I was staying in some Holiday Inn Express with ants going up the wall. And um, I was uh, working there from, I sometimes even had to fly out Sunday nights in order to be there Monday morning. Then I worked until Friday evening and came back midnight, slept through the weekend, and then did it again. And I did that for five and a half years. And through that process, it became unbearable. And through that process, some pain was built up. And that pain actually was the driver to have my wife and I look for something else. And we came across real estate. It took us a while to make that work. We ultimately came into something that is completely different than anyone else does, which is land flipping. Because land flipping is the same as house flipping, just without the hassles of houses. You're in this earn spend cycle. Yes. And you know, to break out of that cycle, I often talk to many listeners and um, many students of mine who are, who are often in the cycle and looking for a way out. And again, you think about the majority of us who have corporate careers, who, who are professionals, and, you know, maybe we're able to save an extra two, three, like you said, $400 at the end of the month. And there's no way that we could possibly jump into something like real estate. There's no way that we could actually break this cycle. I mean, our parents have done it. Our parents' parents have really done it. Um, it's bedded into our cycle. How did you begin that process of just kind of breaking that, that mental cycle? Because I really do believe all of it is mental. How did that begin for you? And was it something that you presented to your wife and she was on board immediately? Was it something that she brought to you? Like, how did, how did that kind of transpire for you guys? So, yeah, so I was born and raised by family. My dad is a high school teacher, tenured, and, uh, or a teacher, tenured, like high school teacher. My mom's a stay-at-home mom. None of my relatives run their own business. The, the advice that I was always gotten was the classic Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad advice, get a good job and get a good, get a good education and get a good job. That's the footstep that I follow. Um, my wife actually is from Honduras, Central America. So we're both immigrants. In Honduras, there's no such thing like a social network. Right? You, it's like survival of the fittest. Right? So if you're like, I'm, my, my mother-in-law is also a retired elementary teacher. She gets a pension of like 300 bucks a month. That's it. Right? With that, if that much, perhaps even less. So with 250, 300 bucks a month, I mean, you can't live. So so that mentality of building an additional income stream or an additional security in your life other than your job and your future social security or retirement is much more prevalent in that culture than it is in my culture. Uh, so 
So yes, when we were starting, uh, yet we, she was also groomed to get uh, to get a good job, get a good get good education, get a good job, and uh, we met here in the U.S. and we fell in love, and uh, we're now married 19 years. So I uh, have a 12-year-old daughter. So, but but when we we kind of came to that together, to that solution, to the conclusion that we got to do something, and we came to that actually to a time that is not that different than the time that we in right now or going through right now. That was back in 2001 or about 2000, 2001. There was a big, uh, there was a recession triggered by what's called the dot-com bubble burst. So back then, um, it's a while ago, but back then there was a lot of technology companies. There was like the venture capitalists were throwing money at any technology company. But, uh, and there's like pets.com and all this kind of, Amazon was tiny at that time. And, um, and all of a sudden that bubble burst and a whole bunch of companies went out of business. And with it kind of affected a whole bunch of other companies in the country. It's not that well rec- remembered because it wasn't a nationwide big recession, but in the technology industry, it was a humongous recession. And uh, so, the, for example, the company that I worked with went from 7,000 people to 4,000 people in a matter of one day, one year. And as a matter of fact, they did it in three days. They did it in three days by basically letting go uh, 1,000 people a day, one day, then a few, day, a few couple of months later, let another 1,000 people go, and then a few months later, let another 1,000 people go, all in one day. And when I saw that, that was like, that was a, if you call about the mindset, Somebody needed to hit me with a, with a bat over the hat, and that was the bat that, that hit me. So I didn't lose my job because with a job loss, I would have lost my, my permanent residency or it would have lost not my permanent, but my visa I would have lost my, my path to the permanent residency. I didn't have the permanent residency yet. I had a work visa, but I, I didn't lose my job, but I saw people left and right losing their jobs. And what I always thought was only in the movies that you literally get a cardboard box and security stands next to your cubicle and says, like, pack your stuff and you're out. And this court, you're out. Literally happened. I saw it. And, and that was new because coming from Europe, it's just all different. The, the timelines, the rules, everything is different. So it's a new world. Not, good, not, not worse, not better. Uh, better in many respects. But, um, but uh, I guess it's a land of opportunity. But, um, but different in that aspect. So... And I realized I saw that, and all of a sudden I was like, "Holy cow!" My heart went from from here up to up to my my pants, and like my, I, I was like, "Oh my god, what do I do?" So it's like if I lose my job, I, we had just gotten married, we just bought the starter home, we were like screwed in good English, right? So we were we were like, if I lose my job, I'm screwed. So what we did is we realized in that moment I can pin it down. I don't know the date anymore, but I can have a visual literally in front of me where it was sitting, how it looked like, how the people were let go left and right of me. And in that moment, my mind shifted, my mind shifted. It took something as drastic as that. And my mind shifted towards crap. I can't rely on a job like that. Even though I have a career opportunity and whatever it is, I can't rely on that because the next recession, I might not, I might, first of all, I don't know if I'm going to survive this one at the time. If I put myself back in those days, it was like a day by day, week by week. Um, And and I don't want to ever be in that position again. I was just praying I could make it to get my green card. But at the same time, I swore to myself, I got to have a plan B in order to get forward. Now, plan B in now meant I needed to work on something. Like you saw about the earn spend cycle. I was smacking the earn spend cycle. Like every dime that came in needed to go out. I couldn't even save any money. 
because I mean, if you have only 400 bucks left for groceries and for, I mean, I want to go for for dinner at least every once in a while, right? And and so there was nothing left. Um, and then of course, every time there was something left, something broke, right? The car breaks, the house breaks, something something breaks in the house, and that money goes straight out. It's like Murphy's law. So we realized we needed to to start something in parallel that actually makes us extra money because we looked at it. It's going to take years and years before I make enough money in that job that I can put actually something significantly sideline. And on top of it, I'm still going to be working 60, 70 hours a week and I have no time to do anything part-time. So I got to bite the bullet right now and I got to really go and do the uncomfortable, which is even though I'm working already hard, I got to spend an extra couple of hours a day to search for something that can take me out of this comfortable misery. Mm-hmm. Man, Jack, and, and that brings me to kind of the very next point, and it's fascinating to see again. You see so many people who are in your exact same position. I remember I was there just four years ago. I mean, I was like, "Oh my goodness, I got to get out of this. This is insane!" Right for some of your same exact reasons. And ultimately, I think about again your your earn spend cycle. And you said literally, these are your words: every single dollar that came in had to go out for a certain expense. There was nothing left. And if ever there was anything left, there were certain one-time miscellaneous items that came up that totally wiped that out. So in many people's eyes, and I know a lot of people are like, yes, that's me. Like, it doesn't matter that I make 50 grand a year, 150 grand a year. It's the same thing at the end of the month. How do you break that cycle? Like, again, it's it's hard to break that cycle when you got $500 or $1,000 left at the end of the month and you're saving you know, that $1,000 a month for the next two years, and then you put a down payment down on the house, but that takes forever. And oftentimes people, people yes. run out of energy, people run out of, out of motivation, uh, people run, run out of willpower. And then, I mean, the goal gets sidetracked, it gets wiped out by medical bills. There's so many things that could happen in that period. So I don't think that's a winning proposition. So again, we look at the earn spend cycle, we look at the fact that there is nothing left and you have this desire to, you have this desire for more. You want to be, you want to, call your own shots. You want to be stable. How do you do that with, with nothing left? Yeah, our, our first desire was actually mainly to get, be able to get rid of the job and be financially stable enough, even if it's the same income. It doesn't matter. But uh, to, to just be able to go, ideally a little bit more than what we're making because we wanted to have the time again and we wanted to have the money to go travel. Because again, I'm from Germany. My brother's in Germany. My parents are in Germany. My cousins are in Germany. My friend, a lot of friends from high school. Like Germans are like weird people. They're like, once you make friendship with a German, that friendship lasts for life. Lasts for life. Mm-hmm. So I have friends that from high school that I'm still in contact now. Every time I go to Germany, we go hang out together. We have time and uh, we make time and so on because it's just that bond that once you forge it, it, it just you, it's important to both sides. So the same for Michelle. Her cousins are there. She's a single child, but her cousins are over there. Her family is over there. Her mom now lives with us here in the U.S. and also has a permanent residency. And we are a citizen by now, so uh, it's all good. But um, but uh, so how do you break it? You break it by looking for something that first generates extra income. So the investment doesn't come first. The extra income comes first. So that's uh, kind of what I look at. So we're just like, in order to do that, we first got to create income, even if that income is to a degree active income for now, because in order to accelerate the passive incomes, we got to turbocharge the active income in order to place those passive investments. So, so let me interrupt you really quick, Jack. Sure. I think this is a great point as well. 
Now, I see some people actually take this type of action, which is, again, the next best thing to do rather than sitting on the fence or saying, well, it was me or trying to save for three, four, 10 years for one deal, right? This is the next best action, right? Take massive action now and try to create an additional source of income. But to counter that, we deal with something called Parkinson's law. And the more we make, the more we spend. So how do we nip that in the butt immediately while we go ahead and produce additional revenue? Because again, like you said, things come up. And the, it's like you think that because you make more money, um, you're going to be able to, you're going to be in a better place. But I often see that the disease is financial illiteracy. And it doesn't matter how much you make. Absolutely. So here's, I can't tell you what everyone should do, but here's what we did. And is first of all, the moment we first of all we look for an additional way to make money right without that the only other way you have is do what the dave ramsey thing is which i'm not a big fan of it's like which like eat peanut butter jelly sandwiches until you're financially free but then you're malnutrition and you're scrooge by the time you're financially free so it's not necessarily my thing it's a very valid service that dave, dave ramsey does there for the ones that, for the people addicted to debt but it's not, my opinion, a true freedom kind of thing. And yes, and ultimately, I'm a fan of being debt-free. But uh, so what we have done is, to answer the question, what we have done is we first look for something we can make extra money with. But at the same time, and we found land flipping, because our first land deal we bought for 400 bucks and sold for 4000 So that's something that everyone can afford, really. So, But having said that, we... Uh, we at the same time we committed to not let our uh, let our expenses increase. So no new car, no new toys, no new vacations uh, uh, for the short term, right? For the short term, no vacations, no uh, no no fancy kinds of stuff. The way we rewarded ourselves when we made a thirty thousand dollar land deal is by going for a nice dinner and drinking a glass of champagne. And that glass of champagne might have cost them twenty dollars instead of the usual beer for five bucks. That was our compensation for it. Or we bought a bottle and drank it at home or something like that. So we compensated with smaller things. But for example, well, the first thing that I did when I quit my job, I sold my car because now we didn't need two cars anymore. And we kept, we sold the newer car. We sold the Honda Accord and we kept the old Geo Prison. So for multiple years afterwards, it only took us from zero to 18, zero to a million dollars. It only took us 18 months with this land flipping. But in those 18 months, we kept driving a little Giro Prism. I felt like the Flintstones on that car because you literally like, like it's like this tiny little bubble. I parked and I had business meetings with people. I parked it on the wayside of the parking lot and walked across so that they wouldn't see me talking about potentially doing a land auction and selling a bunch of properties and things. And then I come into this little piece of a of, of crap car and just drive it away. And uh, luckily, my wife doesn't hear me because she loved that car. We only, after we were already multiple times millionaires, we were still living in our start, startup home because it only took like three years, three, four years, three, four years later, we we're multiple times millionaires. We still lived our $150,000 startup home with our geoprism. That's when we looked at our financials. We said, we can afford to massively upgrade our lifestyle right now without jeopardizing our financials. And that's when we start moved into a 4,500 custom home, 4,500 square foot custom home. Uh, that's when we, when I actually crashed a little geo just on a, on a, on a I just rear-ended somebody at five miles an hour and it was it broke apart. And then we, that's when we got the. Well, you know, your wife loved that car and you were trying to find a way to get rid of it. 
Well, well, because now, because then afterwards, she's like, we're doing financially really well now. I need now a better car. And so well, I had to buy, we had to buy a, a BMW X5 uh, with all vessels instead. So that was the thing. But even like we were literally living like the millionth store in our startup home with our, with our dear prism um, and, uh, and not letting expenses rise. Because the biggest mistake we make is that as soon as the expenses uh, income goes up, the expenses rise with it. If income goes up, expenses rise with it. And all you're doing is you're running an even bigger uh, hamster wheel at that point of time. And it's even harder to get out of that than it is when your expenses are still low. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. Again, I think about your journey, Jack. In the first five years of your, your professional journey, I mean, your, your income pretty much stayed the same. Right. I mean, it didn't really move a whole lot. Maybe you got a few raises throughout that time. Yeah, and then a couple of raises, but yeah, but then with it, the expenses raised right away too, as always said. Exactly. Right. And then just in that same, that same short period, even, even less of a time period, your income exponentially increases. Right. Exponentially. And I'm just like, I mean, yes, there's a strategy in place and we're going to get to that strategy here now. But there's also a mind, there has to be some type of mindset shift in place as well because I mean that 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 is that exponential growth in such a short period of time. Whereas that same amount of time, even more of that time was spent doing the same thing year after year. And then it's like when you found the key, when you found the recipe, when you found the solution, you went after it full force. So you have a concept called forever cash, and I really want to dive into what you were doing back then. I know things may be a little bit different now, but what things you were doing back then to get you to that million dollar point, right? Were you thinking about forever cash back then? Were you were you consistently building up your cash flow, or were you building up your cash reserves? Were you uh, earning massive payouts because you were doing flips, and then you were hoarding or holding out? What was your methodology back then? So we started we started flipping. We started mainly doing flips because we just needed to get our student debt, out of credit card debt, out of uh, uh, consumer debt, out of car debt, out of all these kind of debts, and we we felt we needed to do that, and also because we didn't know any better. So we did flips, but we didn't do house flips. We did land flips, and we'll dive into that at the moment, which actually much simpler than land flips, but provide the same income. Uh, but then what we also started doing is, and that's actually where, where the mindset a little bit come in. Ideally, what we wanted to do was what I said a few minutes ago, which we wanted to basically get, get our cash up so that we can invest in cash flow. But what we realized about a few months into it that our method of land flipping actually has the cash flow built in. Mm. Because what a lot of people came in and came, came to us, let's say we sold the property, actually we sold one yesterday, just like that, where we bought a property for, let's say, let's take an example, there's one property we bought for $2,000. Because with our method, we buy properties for five to 25 cents on a dollar. So we, we bought a property for $2,000 that was worth $20,000. We put it up on the market for $20,000, piece of land, and somebody contacted us and says, hey, I would love to buy this piece of land, but I don't have 20 grand. Could I make a down payment and could you finance the rest for me? And we were like, really? Can we do that? Because again, it's not something we learn in school on how to do that. It's okay to do that. But so we checked, of course, you can do that. It's called seller financing, owner financing. And so the guy put down $3,000 and then made monthly payments of $300 for the next eight or something like that years. And if you add it up, we got in like something like $30,000 over eight years on a property that we paid $2,000 for, and we got $3,000 back right when we sold it. 
So we're like, okay, now now this cash flow thing starts making sense. We can make cash flow without with barely putting any money into the deals. So we we basically put a deal under contract for two thousand dollars. We find a buyer. We market it right away. We find a buyer willing to put three down. So now we pay two, and the same day we get three back. Or if you do it with what's called the double closing, you don't even have to use your own money to do it. You just basically use the buyer's three thousand dollars to have everyone paid. And now you basically have a or, or zero, whatever it is, you have no, you, you, it costs you no money to buy that deal because you use the buyer's money right away. And now you get 300 bucks a month for the next eight years with no tenants, toilets, termites, trash, repairs, or any kind of midnight move outs. We're like, oh, we like that because we tried to make houses work, but we couldn't make it work. It was too complicated. I was traveling all the time. We didn't know how to estimate repairs and all the bells and whistles. But when we stumbled over houses, over land, when we stumbled over land, it started working. And that's what we started doing. So we started selling with cash, build up our cash. And for every, and again, to a forever cash process or that financial freedom thing, for every cash payment that we got, if we made 10 grand, we put four, we put three grand off to the side. We put three grand towards our debt and we put four grand to do more deals with. And we just created that little ratio for us that from every deal that came in, we would put money off to the side to pay down debt, right? So or actually more, we would put three off to the side to pay to uh, literally in savings, two or three to pay off that, two of the, and the rest we re- reinvest, kind of the same I just said. So, uh, so yeah, so, so bottom line is with that method, within a matter of 10 months, we were debt free. We had over $5,000 a month in cash flow coming in, which was more than I was earning back then. So we were literally financially free from cash flow and we had an we had we are debt free except for the house, but the car were paid off, the furniture was paid off, the student debt was paid off, the credit card was paid off, and now we had on top of it a full year's worth of living expenses on the sideline. And at that moment, our uh, our green card came in, and in that moment, we we're like, guys, we are done. We can officially quit without losing our our ability to stay in the country. We quit. Uh, we 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 and then we went full. And an interesting thing happened. We then went instead of just taking a breath, breath, a breather, we're like, we got something that works really, really well right now. Let's put the pedal to the metal. And in another eight months, it took us to the million dollars. And at that level, something shifted then, not just to the million dollars, but as we got to that level, we started also shifting. We started then hiring, outsourcing most of the pieces. And because you can outsource most of the pieces, now again, you have your time back and you can go travel. So now you have cash, cash flow, and then the cash flow grew to as much as $70,000 a month, every single month coming in from these monthly payments, which was very, very handy because when the next crash happened, we were able to buy properties en masse and buy rental properties. And now we have all of it. We have, we have cash flow from land. We have cash profits from land. We have cash flow from, our, from houses that we own. We have cash flow from apartment complexes we own. And we built a very nice little little empire i don't know what to call it empire but we built our nice little portfolio here that uh that provides now cash and cash flow for the rest of our lives and for our daughter's life and it was it was all done in a strategic way by first first creating more cash using that to pay off some debt using them to reinvest create cash flow quitting our jobs going full in and then and then reinvesting those assets into other assets so that because ideally, also, as I would like to say, the purpose of money is not to be spent. The purpose of money is to be reinvested 
in assets that bring ultimately cash flow forever so that you then spend that, what I call secondary money. So the primary money is the money that you make. You invest that money and then the secondary money that comes from the investments, that's the money you can spend on any stupid thing you want to invest and want to spend because next month there's more coming in, right? So it never stops. And that's that's how I how we like to once we fix, once we realize that, that's the process we put into place. Amongst those who actually took action with land investing, Jack, what would you say is the biggest reason why most land investors fail? Most land investors fail because of the mindset in between their ears. Like, uh, because, because the method that we teach is, uh, we do and we teach it now too, uh, the message we do and we teach is, is not hard. It's not complicated. What people fail is that they're not understanding that it is not a get-rich-quick program, that it's going to take them uh, probably three, four months to get through the first couple of cycles and make their first few checks. Right, and that's not a long time. But for some people, is some people start with a flurry of activity, and after two weeks, they're like, it's like, and then they go mad. It's like a rocket ship that runs out of fuel, and then they just fall down to earth. Some people also get get uh, as as they call spouse, right? So the spouse comes and uh, it says like, oh no, blah, 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 and then they give up. Um, some people only say they try, and then they only try, but they don't follow through. And uh, because it's really not hard, it's just it is there's some steps that are involved. And and what is more important than anything is to keep your mental hurdles out of your way. So what we did when I started out, kind of not knowing that, but I bought I'm looking at my bookshelf here. I, I, I bought like every Mark Victor Hansen, Jack Hanfield, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, um, other motivational book, T. Harv Ecker. Um, you name it, Tony Robbins, like those books. And I kept reading them and I kept reading them. Some of them I read five times. I think Rich said for that, I read 12 times already. Because every time I was like, I would catch myself, every time I would go into a, into a kind of a failure, because we failed for two and a half years. We failed forward in this, try, by trying to figure this out ourselves. Now our students are doing, we have a student that's doing a million, that did a million dollars in his first year in profit. So we now... But back then we had no system to follow, so we we had to pull ourselves up by our shoestrings and by our by our belts. And basically, every time I would fall into a like crap, this didn't work, or that didn't work, I would grab a book and I would read, and I would read about the failures of other people and our perseverance and our things. And those books are lifesavers. So even when we moved from that forty-five hundred square foot house to the seven thousand acre right now custom home. Uh, I got rid of like 80% of my books because I had read them and, and I have them on Kindle now. But those books that got me through the hard times, those books came with me. I love it. I love it. I love it. And just to walk through, you mentioned the steps to land investing. You mentioned that you buy land at a discount and you're often looking to buy land uh, at 5 to 25 cents on the dollar. Fill in the holes for me. You're looking for distressed leads. You're getting property under contract at a discount. I mean, you're marketing that property to potential buyers. These buyers might be individuals who own land in the area and by extension would be interested in, in buying more land. And then you you either sell you're either selling them that contract or you're staying in the middle. Is that is that kind of the yes, I can summarize in a couple of things. There's a couple of just small adjustments. It's mostly correct, but just, just a couple of adjustments. So first the only the most the biggest adjustment is that we actually not looking to stress. Almost none of the properties that we're buying are distressed. It just happens to be 
that in the land area, banks don't lend on land. So therefore, almost all the pieces of land that we buy are actually free and clear. The thing is, what, what comes with land is property taxes. What comes with houses is also property taxes, but usually that's covered by the rent that you receive. On land, there's usually not much rent, although we just rented a property that we have here in Phoenix where they pay us $2,000 a month in rent. I'll be happy for that, and it's a construction company wants to store some stuff on there. It's like, okay, sounds good to me. Um, and so in a year and a half, we almost pay for the property. So it's like, it's exciting. But, um, but typically the land that we focus is between $5,000 in value and $100,000, $150,000 in value. Bank, typically we also we focus on land in the outskirts of town or larger tracts of rural land. And banks do not lend on those pieces of land. As a result, the owners own them free and clear. And the owners of many times owned them for 20, 30 years. And they bought them with a completely different vision. Perhaps they bought them because they wanted to build a cabin there. Perhaps they bought them because they thought because they wanted to build their retirement home there. Perhaps they bought them because they wanted to move there down the road. Perhaps they bought them because I thought prices would go up, but uh, it, it particularly it perhaps didn't. But what they have been having to do all these years is pay property taxes every single year. And they just no longer want to do that. So we have figured out a, how to identify the kind of properties that the owners no longer want. And then what we do is we send them a direct mail piece that is fine-tuned such and tested so many times that it gets on average a 3 to 15% response rate from the owners, which is obviously, uh, for, compared to houses, way, way higher than houses. And then, uh, and then they call us back. We then have a, you can outsource that. You can outsource the mailing of the letters. You can outsource the call, phone calls. We do. And then a call center or so takes on these phone calls. And then we make them an offer. And then a certain percentage of them accept the offer. So if you do everything wrong, right, one of our, our an offer, you, you should get an offer accepted for every about 15 to 50 offers you make, depending on area and so on. At the beginning, it's a little higher, but as you fine-tune your system, you get down to the 25, 20, and then even below 20 number of offers that you get accepted. So in other words, if you get a 6% response rate and you send out, let's say, 1,000 letters, you get 60 answers on that letter, uh, 60 phone calls, you make 60 offers, you know, chances are on average, you should have like at least two deals accepted already from that. So that's kind of like our average kind of deal. So it is not expensive to do this. You get those deals accepted because we are focusing, we figured out how to find those people that truly just are, they're not motivated sellers, they're non-wanters. They just don't want it anymore. They actually send you thank you gifts sometimes as for the thank you, thank you for taking the burden of property ownership off their shoulders. And then what we do, when we have a deal on a contract, like one of our students right now is a deal on a contract worth in a small town, in, uh, in a populated state, in a small town, worth $50,000. He has on a contract for eighteen for $1,950. So it's under $2,000 for a $50,000 property. That's exciting. Now, you said it was worth, and this is, you, you're answering my questions succinctly, so I don't even have to ask them to you, so it's amazing how you talk yeah, about they're it. They're worth 50K in this case. There's some back taxes in that case. That person actually hasn't even paid the back property taxes. There's a few more thousand back taxes. So they're in it approximately for about 10 cents on the dollar once you take all the closing costs and back taxes in there. And now they're marketing that property for $32,900 and probably got sold it, will have sold it in the next couple of weeks for like, Anywhere between twenty-five and thirty thousand dollars, I expect. So that's a nice, that's a nice twenty to twenty-five thousand dollar profit that comes from that. 
how are you creating the valuation on these on these parcels? All right, so that's another thing. So when when they call us back, we then value the property. So the simplest way to value properties, if you focus on the three areas that we focus on properties, again in the outskirts of town, the big rural areas, or also one area I haven't mentioned is the infill lots. So we do like lots in the city. Think about a street, thirty-five houses, one empty lot, ready to have a house filled in there. So it's an infill lot. Uh, those are the infill lots. Are, are you go by the value of the houses in the area and the land is worth a percentage of the value. And the other ones are very simple, comparables. Like if there's outskirts, if it's right on the outside of the city, there's an area with like a whole bunch of one acre lots. There's five that sold in the last 90 days or the last half a year for $50,000. What's yours worth? $50,000 because it's kind of similar, right? Or there's multiple other ways in the rural areas. You sometimes have to do it by acre. Because sometimes you got to adjust for by acre. So there's so we identified overall a total of five different ways to value the property, uh, and that's, these were three of them, for example. And then um, and then when we make our offers, they get accepted. And then we use actually the internet to sell these properties. So this entire business, because it's land, we actually don't have to go look at it. And I mean, Google Earth, Google Maps, show us everything about that. Google Street View, or if you really need to see it, see it, you can go. Uh, how hire a company like wegolook.com that for 150 bucks goes out there, looks at it, takes all the pictures you need and sends them to you. So you literally never have to leave the comfort of your house. As a, as a, as a result, we now have students actually from Germany that do deals in the U.S. There's one guy that's like six deals this month, last month, um, and uh, making like over, I think, one of them $20,000 alone. I don't know what the total is, but like $30,000, $40,000 from Germany without actually doing these deals, without actually coming over all the time. He comes over like once a year to do vacation. He currently actually can't even come over and he still does deals. While during the pandemic, he was doing like six to eight deals in the United States from Germany without even seeing them. And that is also to answer your very first question. How do we get to travel? Well, if you have money, if you make money, if you get cash flow and you have a business that doesn't require you to be there, you can be anywhere in the world. So we, we are planning right now to go to Hawaii for most of July, and we are going to hang out in Hawaii for most of the time. And I might spend a little bit of time on the balcony overlooking the ocean, doing some offers or, 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 or helping my sales team. Now I have a sales guy that helps me sell those properties, but working with them. But other than that, we have, we have a guy that does five to six deals a month on his own, with just one part-time virtual assistant and each deal is worth at least 10 grand. So you do the math on that. So he's pulling it half a million to a million dollars working from home without, with right, a part-time assistant that lives somewhere else. You know, I think the listeners would, would, would kill me if I don't ask this question. I know we've had one other uh, land investor on the show. I'm sure you're familiar with him, Mr. Mark uh, Podolsky, and he's been amazing sure. and gracious with his information as well. But is it too late, right? Is there, no more opportunities. Is land going to eventually run out, right? I know you get those questions often, but more specifically now, more than ever, like during this crisis, I want you to answer that question because it's like, dude, is there opportunity? Is now the right time? Can you dive into that for us? Sure, absolutely. And Mark and I know each other, so he's a good guy. And uh, he is, his, I think my understanding is that he focuses a little bit more on the lower price properties, like uh, with that below like the $10,000 level. I Don't hold me to it. Uh, we focus, I, we like to be above $10,000, 10000 to $150,000, because with those, we can see deals that often make you like, like there's a deal that one of our students is doing right now where he makes $100,000. 
There's two deals that I bought that I put on a contract for $32,000. They're worth $150,000 each. So each of those will make 50 grand each easily. And so that's a $100,000 profit right there. It's much, my opinion, is much easier to do less deals at a higher price points than because the same work to do them, to do those than it is to do the smaller deals. But there's a timing right. Yes, the timing is always right. Because we have done this method. We started on, we got our first deal accepted on Christmas Day 2002. So we've been doing this for 18 years now. So in 2002, when we have done deals 2003, 4, 5, 6, on a run-up to the big recession, we have done lots of deals. Then as the market crashed, we continued doing deals. We just, all we needed to adjust is that some of the bottom-end deals wouldn't sell very well. So we went higher-end, a little bit to the higher price properties. And we just bought them cheaper and sold them cheaper. Our margins were a little smaller. So instead of buying and putting our contract property on a contract for 10,000 and selling it for 40, we would put it on a contract for now for six and sell it for, for 25. But we're still making a $19,000 profit. And I think that's fine with pretty much everyone, right? So we continue doing those deals. And then on the way up, we continue doing deals. And now we have been teaching this for a little bit. But at the same time, while we're teaching this, there is... There's no even there's not even a speck of competition out there. I mean, there's like I believe we can teach this for another 20 years. We would have to teach this to about 50,000 people for that to be any kind of meaningful competition here, because the country has over 3,000 counties. This works in every county of these 3,000 counties. Right now, my estimation is that because of my teaching efforts and perhaps Mark's, there's perhaps 500 full-time full-time people doing this across the United States. Heck, there's 1,500 or 2,000 people doing this full, doing house flipping full-time in my market while at Phoenix, Arizona. And I just flipped a piece of land in my own market yesterday for a $15,000 profit that, um, that where, where, where nobody, which I owned that property for a little bit. I never gotten another letter from anyone about wanting to buy that property. So in other words, there's almost no competition. Right? Do you come across other people who do that? Yes, of course you do but very, very few, very far in between. And so this is really, we're really in the first inning of this, of this land flipping game. And, uh, and the market is still completely untapped. And there's a lot, at the same time, in this, in this environment right now, really the question is, are people buying? And the answer is yes. Actually, typically what, what we know from the last recession is that it takes about a year before land prices actually go down particularly the land prices that are bought direct from consumer bond. The land prices that the builders buy, they give in earlier, but the land prices we buy, they, they, they give in until a year later. However, this doesn't look like it's a year-long recession. It looks like the market is reopening, the country is reopening, people are going back to work, right? People are, are, are going, getting, a lot of people in the restaurant business getting their jobs back and so on. So as a result, there's, uh, there's buyers uh, around but interestingly, the pandemic actually created another type of buyer that I didn't even anticipate. It created the buyer that is a huge spike of those buyers that is sick and tired of being stuck at home. It created that buyer that basically wants to go and own a piece of land outside of the city, that wants to, wants to own a 20 or 40 acre mini ranchette somewhere out there where they can take their RV and take their dirt bikes and take their SUV out there and have fun out there because they're sick and tired. They don't want to be trapped in their condo, apartment, house, another for another pandemic ever. So actually, there's an article that actually one of the big house brokerages put out there. There's a huge spike in interest about houses in the rural areas 
and we see that exact same spike in the land in the more in the outskirts of town in the rural areas. So is there a change? Yes. The, some, some buyers have, have disappeared, usually the bottom end buyers, but the buyers of the $10,000 price properties, they're all around and they're wanting, there's actually more of them than there ever have been, which is actually really exciting, uh, exciting development right now. And as a result, my, ourselves and our students are actually seeing more sales during this pandemic than we, have ever, than, we, than we saw before. And the market was the best market I've ever seen even before. So now the time is not over. It, the time to get started is really now. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Before I got my success. Well, that must be, I think it was called The Millionaire Mind or so. But, well, no, that's T.R. Becker. Um, it's 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 hard to tell because it's a combination of those books that got me through the success. Yeah, a lot of those millionaires, millionaire next door, they all they all kind of sound yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's one by Mark Victor Hansen and uh, and and Jack Canfield has a butterfly on it, and it's almost like two books in one. Um, it's kind of like the butterfly effect or the butterfly millionaire or something like that. I love that book. What about what about your favorite land investing book, especially earlier on? You know, there was no land investing books. There's like, I mean, there was almost none. We had we started without reading any books. I mean, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I read, I read like basic real estate, the ABC of real estate or something like that. Actually, or real estate fundamentals, more like a textbook, a big fat book, like more like a university book. I found that the other day when we a year ago when we moved into this house and we sorted before sorted through our books. It's like, oh my god! And I looked through it and I saw the terms that I had highlighted. And it almost brought me to tears because I had highlighted words like deed, words like equity, words like thing, because they're all coming from another country. These are all new words that you have to learn, right? So, so the Americans are not already born with that. They understand these words already. You have a benefit. You have an advantage even over, uh, over me back then and, and my wife. So, so yeah, those, all of those are fantastic. Uh, I think the ones that stood out were the ones were really, they were about failure and success and about the single mom struggling and, and having to work and every dime went out. Books that I could really relate to. I wasn't a single mom. I was married. So I'm still married, of course, and happily married. But uh, but from a financial point of view, it, it related very closely to me. I love, it. I love it. I love it. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Okay. So I'm going to give you two for that. One is TripIt. So TripIt, uh, T-R- Trip, T-R-I-P, I-T, TripIt.com is the best tool to, to just uh, keep all your travel itineraries together. So when we go travel, it's like religious. My assistant goes and puts into TripIt, I trip it. It's easy. You get an email, you register your email address, you get a confirmation from the airline, you just forward it to that email address to, to, their, to them, and it's right there in your, in your itinerary. So wherever I go, I have on all, on all different phones, iPads, anyone can pull up up our trip details if my wife needs to know where i'm going to travel next week if i'm going somewhere she just pulls up trip it all the details are there hotels and so on it's fantastic I the second that. one is a wine app so i actually like wine and i uh i think that i like only beer as a german but i actually got to the taste of wine and i love vivino uh vivino is v-i-v-i-n-o uh it's not only a great app you have your wine cellar but it's also cool you find a bottle you go to a friend over and they open a bottle of wine you like it you just take a picture of it and uh and it finds it it gives you where it tells you where you can buy it what it costs and and you got uh, and if you really enjoyed it you can basically i've been over at friends and i really liked it and i ordered wine right there and two days later it was shipped to my house 
And um, but it's also a combination of of research and thing, and, and and you can we keep your wine cellar. Not that I have a big one, although in the new house I have a three hundred a three hundred unit uh, wine uh, air conditioned wine room there. But that's uh, so I, I I love that just to, to play around with. Yeah, I actually like that was a very different recommendation and I like that a lot. Um, and I'm going to actually download that app as soon as we get off of this call. So I appreciate that. That app is called Vivino. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? What do I enjoy most about it is that we're location independent. That uh, the, only, the only different, the only piece that doesn't make us location independent is that our daughter goes to school. But even that, three years ago, we actually took her out of school for half a year homeschooled her and traveled for four months around the world. We went to Asia, we went to China, Japan, Hong Kong. Uh, we went to uh, South America, to Argentina, went to Europe, went to Africa. Uh, I mean, North Africa, went to Egypt. Um, and, um, and we still do that now, just restricted in our travel things because we put her back to school because she's a single child and she really, for, for the social environment, uh, she really loves that. And, uh, but so right now, what I like about it is that we don't, we can just go wherever we, whenever we want, because our, our entire team is virtual, right? Our education center where we teach land flipping, our team is virtual, our land flipping team is virtual, and it doesn't matter. There's no reason whatsoever why I need to be in Phoenix, Arizona. So if it gets hot here and that once we're, as we're allowed to travel again, we'll be gone and we'll be gone somewhere, right? We're figuring this out right now as, as Doris has announced, all the travel opens up again. I love it. I love it. I love it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Well, first is not spend more than we're making and actually keep our spending limit of where we were. Now, there's a difference. We did invest in ourselves, right? We did invest in education. That's something that I never look as an expense, but always an investment. But other than that, uh, extra work. I mean, I worked 70 hours a week and I sometimes worked until 11 o'clock at night because I knew that if I don't do the extra step, I would be stuck in this job forever. From 11 o'clock till 1 a.m., I kept I kept figuring out stuff. I'm researching, trying to figure out what business do I want to do? What Do I want to open a bakery? It's like, no, I have to wake up too early. Not for me. But, um, I'm, I'm, we're not a wake-up early family. Even our dog likes to sleep until 9 in the morning. So, we, um, so, but once we figure this out and we're in the process of figuring out, just put in the extra time, no matter what, no excuses. And there's all the things is we met with friends less often. We kind of like, we kind of like said, sorry, uh, if they, friends call us, Hey, you want to go out tonight on a weekend? We're like, and we had planned to bring our business forward. We said, sorry, we'll see you next week. Cause we had a commitment. We said like, sorry, we have a prior commitment. And isn't that the truth? We had a prior commitment with ourselves. And often we put ourselves last. We always say like, yeah, well, I'm free. No, you're not free. If you have something planned for yourself to do at that time, then you're not free. You have a prior commitment with yourself to do this. And you hold that. If you have a doctor's appointment, somebody calls you, it's like, no, I got to go to the doctor. So we honor the doctor's time more than we honor our own time. And that's something we needed to realize. And that's something we needed to do. So we scaled back on, on hanging out with friends and meeting with friends because we needed that time to bring our business forward. Now we have all the time in the world and our friends are the ones that don't necessarily have the time, but uh, unless those, of course, that also do what we do. And then uh, with those, we often hang out extended periods of time. I love it. Love it. Absolutely beautiful. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? 
I would definitely say my wife again, because she's not only my wife, but she's the co-founder and the co-CEO, the co-operations manager, I mean, the co the co-owner of this company, co-founder of everything. We have built this completely together. A lot of the processes we created were created by her. And again, her she coming from that other environment where when she learned also, she didn't know much about real estate, but when she passed, her dad passed away when she was nine months old. Left, leaving her as a single child with her mom, who is a high school teacher at a $400 a month salary and a $250 or $300 a month uh, retirement. What, gave, what enabled them to get through this and be actually be fine is that her dad was a, had, had foresight. And, be, and, and in the years before he passed away, he had bought, somehow he had bought one piece of real estate in, in, her, in Honduras. And that piece of real estate, real estate was an income-producing real estate. Not crazy amounts of money coming in, but enough that with that and the salary together, it was able to get her uh, to get her through. So she fully understood the power of passive income goes beyond your own lifetime. The power of uh, because her father's foresight, even after her father's death, she still was able to go to a good school and go get education, put some money aside, and even potentially and then even come to the United States to, to study. That is uh, that that was done by one piece of real estate over there. So when we started thinking about real estate, she relayed that to me and it became a no brainer because she was immediately on board because she's like, no, this is it because this in my home country, this is how people do it. Her, this is how people do it. Her aunt had a little house on, the, on a bigger lot and she didn't have, so when, when she started, uh, when she over time, she was also a high school teacher, she built a little house, like stone by stone, paid for that house, put a little house on the front of the lot, put another little house on the front of the lot. So now when she retired, she can live in the back house, rent the front houses. In addition to her $250 or $300 pension from the government, she now gets rent from the other ones and she can retire in dignity. That's how it's done over there for those who actually think ahead. And we're like, okay, so that thinking came uh, when she relayed that to me, it was very powerful to me. So I give her obviously a lot, a lot of credit for that. Wow, wow, wow. Absolutely beautiful story. That was magical. Last but not least, Jack, why do you think so many of us are stuck? before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Because we don't understand truly how money works and we don't understand how money is supposed to be working and we get sucked in by, by all the media and by all the outside influences and all the stupidity, if I may say that word, of, uh, of, of just the common sense or what they say like uh, that is being that's supposed to be common sense that is really not common uh, or it is common but it's not extraordinary common sense will only result in common results not in extraordinary results so you got to be a little bit of a contrarian to do things against what everyone else does like when right now we're in a crisis we're the most I feel bad for all the people who are struggling, but we're the most excited that we are. We're the most active that we are because a, a crisis means opportunity at some point of time. Now, I will never take advantage of anyone, but if somebody loses their piece of property and it ends up with a bank, then somebody needs to take that property off the hands of the bank, right? If somebody uh, needs to just get rid of something, doesn't want anything, doesn't want to pay property taxes anymore, then I'll gladly take that burden off their hands. But right now is the time to be in action, not the time to be in fear. Right? So 
it's it's a mindset. It's purely mindset. And we have been trained and trained by society, by financial media. I mean, by by the Charles Schwabs and those worlds of the world, just basically saying, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta, uh, you gotta put ten percent away. We'll take care of all of it. You don't have to worry about finances." No, we need to think about finances. We need to talk about finances. We need to talk about things like uh, like that. We need to talk to our children about it. We need to te- we need to break that cycle of like of 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 dumbed down. Let the other ones take care of it for us. And if we do, we're going to make different decisions. And then it's going to be easier to break that cycle. Jack, this has been an amazing podcast episode. Our listeners have gotten so much value out of this. I know this because I personally have. And uh, if the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, Jack, if they want to find out a little bit more about some of the things you have going on, I think we even may have created a link at beforethemillions.com forward slash Jack, J-A-C-K, but... Go to the link that you uh, mentioned, like uh, before the millions.com forward slash Jack, then they can find out more. We have basically systemized the approach in form of a step-by-step process that anyone can follow, either on their own or with the help of coaching, either way. And it's uh, it's a complete approach. And we literally have in the Facebook group, for example, we have people on a daily basis reporting successes. I just uh, put in my last deal in there yesterday, and uh, so there's there's deals there's deals being reported all the time. People helping each other. It's a really giving community. Yeah, I love that. I love that, Jack. And again, all the links that we mentioned on today's episode will be in the show notes of this podcast. If you go there, you get actually uh, to a place where you can watch a video presentation, a video uh, webinar thing, which leads to one of our. Uh, we, we show you how this works right now. Yeah, tell, us, tell, tell us about this webinar. Tell us about this webinar. Okay, so it's basically it's it's a webinar that uh, or it's a it's a video that shows you it's basically how this dives in deeper into how this works. Gives you a little bit again of my story, kind of similar to to, to right now, just that it has it takes a little bit more time. It's about 70, eighty minutes or so. It takes a little bit more time to go into the actual steps of the of the pieces and how they actually work together. And um, and then after that, you can make it, you can choose if you want to get involved more after that. I love it. I love it. I love it. I will definitely check out that webinar. I'm a big fan of webinars. So again, listeners, if you want to check out Jack's webinar on land investing, land flipping, and how to do this, uh, not in the just the, the, the tens of thousands, but the hundreds of thousands, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Jack. That's J-A-C-K. Jack, this has been an amazing podcast episode. I've had so much fun. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I love when uh, individuals such as yourself are able to come and just kind of provide knowledge. A lot of people, like you said, are in the space or doing great they're doing amazing deals but they don't they don't have that give back component they're not trying to help other investors who may have been in a position that they were in 5 10 20 years ago like yourself they're not helping you see the light and you're doing that so i appreciate your service and we'll talk to you very soon all right thank you very much